This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. And welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan, and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today's Sightlines is part two of our series on how to collect art. I'll be talking to a couple of Dunedin folk, Jules Gross and Jules Radich, both of whom have impressive private art collections. I'll be asking them how they got started, what they have in their collections, what motivates them to keep collecting, and how will they know when to stop. But first, here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with news of the latest exhibitions in Dunedin and beyond. This is Snapshot. Ross, you have been visiting the wonderful Eastern Southland Gallery in Gore. What's on there? Well, Sally, the current show features new work by three Dunedin Fine Arts graduates in a group exhibition called New Perspectives on Landscape. Robin Bardis, Miranda Joseph and Sue Pierce have different responses to landscape but are united in prioritising sustainability and highlighting climate change. Their paintings focus on the red tussock of gore, alpine ecosystems and Japan's cherry blossoms and the show is stunning. Well, from um, Japan to gore, that's quite some distance. And so what else is going on there? Well, you can visit the Hotary Gallery and there's a fine f- selection of Teo Schoon's paintings and also the masks and statues from a range of African countries, part of the John Money collection. The life-size statues from Mali are a must-see. But opposite the gallery is the new information centre housing a new moonshine distillery, where you can have a tipple if you want. The distillery is a work of art in itself, and some paintings from the gallery's large Trefa Moffat collection are also on display there to enhance the local narrative. Up on the hill over the bridge, work is in progress for the Art Education Centre. Extensive printmaking facilities, workshops and residencies are planned for the centre, which incorporates the old Lawson-designed Presbyterian Church. There are riches for art lovers in Gore. And indeed, Ross, we've talked previously with the Eastern Southland Gallery, if any of our listeners want to listen back uh, for our programme there. So if you can't make it to Gore, what's on around Dunedin? Milford Gallery in Darling Street has a group show from March the 11th through to April. Paul McLaughlin will be showing large-scale paint etchings and Chris Charteris will show sculptures based on a fine appreciation of natural resources. Photographer Chris Corson-Scott is new to Milford and his haunting images look at the decay and neglect of the natural environment for financial gain. The Brett McDowell Gallery features works by the late Martin Thompson until March the 24th. Martin was a self-taught artist and a one-off. His grid-like drawings encompass elements of Islamic art, conceptual art and folk art. The Dunedin-based painter Kushana Bush also has a show starting on March the 25th. Her intricate paintings typically blend historic and contemporary styles. Olga Gallery in Murray Place has works by Jay Hutchinson until March the 19th. This is a retrospective of Jay's work with the title B-Sides, Rarities and Treasures from the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Car Park. That sounds fabulous. So Ross, what is going on at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery this month? 
The Paimanu Collective's ex- exhibition Tauraka Toy continues through March. Here the gallery is a landing place for kaitahu art. This show is a great insight into Māori art and culture, I think, featuring established artists along with a new generation. It's the first for Dunedin. And remember to see Unveiling the Stars on the ground floor with works from the permanent collection. And when you do, take note of the number of works bought by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society funds. I think members can feel very proud of the role the Society has had in building the permanent collection over the decades. Indeed, Ross, I was at the gallery in the weekend having another look at both exhibitions and I would commend them to listeners um, and leave plenty of time because there's a lot to see. Fabulous things happening at DPAG. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. Our first guest is University of Otago Senior Research Fellow, Dr Jules Gross. Jules, welcome to Sightlines. Thanks, Zoe. Now I'm going to jump in and, and ask you, how many artworks do you actually own, Jules? That's hard to estimate because I have a f- quite a few, but I think I've probably got around 100, maybe, different genres and, yeah. And um, all of them fabulous. I've seen them and it's an amazing collection. Oh, thank you, yeah. So tell us about your first art acquisition. How did you get started? Well, I uh, grew up in a house where there was always artwork, so I guess I've always had an interest in nice things to look at on my wall. Um, I came down to the University of Otago um, from the Bay of Islands as an undergraduate, and I started going to student art exhibitions. The first student art exhibition I went to, I saw something that I really liked, and I thought, oh, no, I can't possibly buy that. And I went away, and then I thought, no, I really want it, came back, and it had sold. Do you still see that piece of art in your mind's eye? I can, yep. And that really has been something that I always think about. Um, That's probably why I have so much art, because I've ever since then I've always thought, if I can afford to buy it, um, I will buy it, which maybe the art dealer that I buy most from um, thinks that's, knows that's a good thing. (laughs) But yeah, I guess I've always regretted that one. Yep. And so, and so, actually, the first piece that I bought was from the next, the following year's art exhibition, and I, I still have that piece. It's still hanging in my house. And I, what is that? It's two men, actually, two Asian men, um, and it was done by a young Asian student. I hate to say it, but it is not signed, and I cannot remember the name of the artist. But I have very good memories of going to the Union Hall at the university and seeing this piece and just thinking, I really love it. It's just black and white. It's very simple. And I just had to have it. So we've heard that you're motivated basically by FOMO. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What was it about buying that first piece of art, the one that you didn't miss out on, that motivated Mm. you to keep collecting? And I wanted to perhaps go back because you've got a really interesting family history around art. Yeah, so my paternal grandfather was an artist, Frederick Gross, or Frank Gross, he's known as, and I I didn't know him. He died um, when he was in his 50s. My father was in his mid-20s, I guess. But we always had his art in our house, Um, and my father has always been a collector collector of beautiful objects. He he loves jewellery. I lots of really nice jewellery that dad loves buying jewellery. But he also loves beautiful things. So when he first got married, he spent the equivalent of his weekly wages on buying pewter, a pewter coffee set that actually matched one of the paintings that his father had done. Wow. And I actually now have that pewter coffee set and I have that 
painting that that my grandfather did. I mean, I always grew up with art on my walls. I always liked looking at art on on you know when I was growing up, and that just continued really. Um, right. It's not that my father or my family encouraged me to buy art. I just I, it's just something that I like. I like to sit and look. Yes. beautiful things on my walls. And you certainly have a lot of those beautiful things to look at. So is there a plan or do you just see what you like and buy it? I see what I like and buy it. Are there themes, are there preferences that you have? I like art that I know what I'm looking at, if that makes sense. Um, I have very few pieces of abstract art. Um, I would say that I maybe have, you know, out of 100 maybe I've got two, I think. Um, and I, I think what I liked about those is I just I liked the colour, but I don't really have I, I I really collect things that I like to look at. Um, so it's quite an instinctive process for you. You're not looking into catalogues and not preparing really. spreadsheets and no. working out where the gaps are in your collection and deciding no. what you need next. It's no. purely what you no. like the look of. No, I mean I do. You know I've. Most of my art I've bought locally. Um, I lived in Otago or lived in Dunedin actually for more than half of my life now. I never, I came down to do an undergraduate degree and just loved living here, so I've lived here ever since. So most of what I own is local, um, from local artists. But I do go through catalogues of, of um, auctions around New Zealand and I just flick through and if there's things that I think look interesting, I'll you know, bookmark them. And yeah. I guess nowadays it's you don't have to actually go to auctions. You can do mm. it online. In fact, um, prefer not to. Yeah. I noticed that you had several works of cows, including a couple by uh, Liz Rowe, who's a Dunedin artist. Yeah. Are cows a particular penchant of yours? <laughs> yeah. I, that's funny, actually, because I've never thought of them as being so. And yet when I look around my collection, I do have a couple of very big works by Liz Rowe that are cows. I think she makes particular political statement with the cows. Um, but also Michelle Chalkland Sinclair, who is operates the artist's room, she's taken some magnificent photos of cows, of lots of things. I actually have uh, quite a few of her photographs. And I've also got cows by someone called Amelia Guild, who actually isn't from Dunedin, but she just did this amazing painting of, of cows. And I think with that one... I'm amazed at how artists can create 3D images on a mm. flat surface. And I guess when I look at hers, there's just all of these brush strokes, but together, that, you know, you very clearly see the image of, of cows. And so, yes. yeah. Um, I'm guessing that being a predominantly Otago collector, you will have met some of the artists whose work you've collected? Yeah, I do like to, to meet them. I think one of the things about you know seeing things that I like and buying them is that I often think I mean I don't buy none of my work is bought for investment purposes it's bought purely because I enjoy looking mm. at it but I am aware that sometimes if I like things that I might not be able to afford them if I don't buy something buy one of those pieces now yes. and so of course it's really interesting going to the site exhibitions at the School of Art and meeting young artists, but also meeting um, any of the artists, and and it's not. I mean, it's it's nice to have a relationship with them. I, I you know, I suppose mm. you are purchasing their their imagination, something that their, they've expressed. Yeah, that's right. Do you find that meeting the artist and having a conversation with them and understanding more about their work helps enhance your enjoyment of that art? 
Sometimes, although again, I think because I buy very much for my visual pleasure and because I buy things that aren't abstract, I like to meet them because I like to know personally who made that piece of art. And often they do have stories which are interesting, but I don't think I probably buy things based on on the backstory of them, if, if, yes. if that's... Um, I understand that. Yeah. yeah. Given the size of your collection, Jules, I think many of us, many of our listeners will be wondering where on earth do you hang it all? Tell us, tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. Yes, that is very tricky. I have a, a very understanding partner who is very understanding about at the walls of our house being completely covered in artwork. He built a, a, a racking system in one of our spare bedrooms so that we could rotate artwork. And we also invested in a professional art hanging system. So rather than banging holes in walls, we actually have, like in a gallery, a system that you can slide strings and yeah, hang multiple artworks on the same string. And um, Sounds like a good plan. It could be a recipe for divorce, that whole picture hanging thing, can't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it's interesting. We, we now have our granddaughter lives with us um, full time and we, we have a lot of artwork stacked up on the sides of the hallway and we've deliberately not taken it away. She started living with us when she was 18 months old and she's we've never had anything broken, damaged, knocked over. She... She's learnt that those are precious things. Fantastic. Um, and in fact, we recently redecorated her bedroom and we we needed the wall space. So <laughs> we said to her, go around and have a look at everything and pick the things that you think that you would like to have in your bedroom. So she very happily went round and, and picked some beautiful pieces of work, in particular a really large work by Sam Foley. Um, if people are familiar with his work, he, he is a realist painter, very large pieces of work, um, but also she picked flowers and um, other things like that. So. The next generation is in safe hands then Indeed. under your tuition. Jules, yes. thanks so much for joining us on Sightlines today. I know our listeners will have found that incredibly interesting and perhaps just a little bit encouraging in terms of their own collecting. Thanks. Oh, thank you for having me. Our second guest is business management consultant and Dunedin City Councillor Jules Radich. Jules, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, you have a really impressive private collection, but I think I'm correct in saying that you did have a couple of false starts along the art collection highway. Do you want to tell us about that? Well, sadly so. Uh, In the first instance, when I was a student here at Otago, I had a great collection of posters uh, of concerts and festivals and such like. And uh, I was very pleased and proud of my collection. But I left them at my sister's flat when I went away up north. And when I came back, they'd been cleared out. So that was the end of those, which was um, felt quite tragic, really. And they would have been such precious memories, not just precious pieces of artwork, but probably a catalogue of your many concerts and experiences at university, I have no doubt. Yes. Yeah. So you then progressed, I think, to real art uh, by purchasing a couple of pieces, including, I think, a Sylvia Sadell. So do you still have that? No, sadly. So um, I suppose losing the posters and just probably not taking a that great a care of the posters anyway, I resolved thereafter to buy only original works or actual works of art. So I bought a, a couple of things, and one of those was a Sylvia Sadell charcoal sketch, which is a, a, of the dirty dishes in the sink. 
in your flat? <laughs> well, it could have been many, any, many of the student flats I lived in, and many of the student flats I've seen since. But uh, it was a great, it was a great drawing. But unfortunately, I left that with a friend, went away overseas, and came back expecting to reclaim it uh, and another work. Instead, it was mounted above the fireplace and blackened with soot. Oh dear! So, you know. At this point, revising your list of friends and family. (laughs) So thereafter, I resolved not to buy anything until I had somewhere safe to be able to keep them. Right. Did you always have an interest in art, or was that poster collection just something that happened incidentally? No, I've always, you know, had an interest in art. Mm. Yep, very much so. And I've probably, I've had a lifelong interest in a few things which are with me to this day. So art, one of them, wine, another, motorcycles, another, and fishing being uh, probably at the forefront these days. Okay, but you now have somewhere safe to put that art. So tell us about your first properly looked after art acquisition, the one that didn't get binned and the one that didn't get smoke damaged. Do you remember when you bought it, where you bought it, what it was? I suspect it was a Ralph Hotary lithograph, actually, from Port Chalmers. So uh, the Aero Club okay, uh, gallery there may have been the first. But I'm not sure. Look, and, uh, off to an know, auspicious so start, I would away. have to say. Yes. <laughs> so your co- collection, and I see I'm, we're sitting here in the studio now, and you've got uh, several pieces of paper comprising a list of your work. How many pieces do you have now? Uh, it's about 100. Okay. And I know our previous guest, we were talking to her about whether or not there's any theme to your collection. Do you, do you curate it, or do you just follow your gut and buy what you like? Yes, well, I think there's an interesting distinction here between collectors and buyers. And fortunately or otherwise, I'm very much in the buyer camp, so I am an art buyer, and I actually don't consider myself an art collector. And the difference being a collector is someone that does curate a collection along thematic lines, but uh, quite possibly along investment lines, whereas I just buy what I like and have done uh, over the years. Great. And when I was at Varsity, I was really, uh, my favourite painting in the Dunedin Public Art Gallery was a Ralph Hotary acrylic that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. to look at and went back several times and always looked out for that along with looking at what else was in the gallery. And so that really triggered me, I guess, uh, to buy one of his mm-hmm. as my first work. So... I think our listeners will be really interested to know, Jules, where do you buy your art? Uh, well, all over. Some may have bought direct from artists, but just the local galleries in town. I used to, uh, I suppose, Brett McDowell, and there's, uh, there are other galleries, but also before him, Marshall Seifert. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking with Marshall Seifert. He was a lot years, of fun, wasn't he? <laughs> and buying. Uh, and he put me onto lots of things. He would uh, always seem to have something to put in front of me. When I went in there. He so. was a real salesman and quite a character. So when you are drawn to an artwork, how do you decide what you buy and what you don't buy? Have you become more discerning over the years, given that you now have no hanging room left? I'm assuming that's getting close to being a problem. <laughs> oh, well, it is a problem, but uh, I wouldn't claim to any great discernment. Mm. I would claim to you know, buy, uh, similarly buying what I like. Mm. And I do have some themes. I do like things that have, or you know, I suppose with most people, they like to buy things that have some they have some association with. 
So mm. scenes of New Zealand and uh, themes of New Zealand, uh, I do like to collect. And also themes of some places around the world where I've been or where I'd like to go. I have some connections there. And also I have some artifacts associated with them. So perhaps one of the things that I have bought over recent decades is um, some works from Japan. So I have uh, quite a few Japanese woodblock prints, but I also have some Japanese ceramics that I brought back from Japan and some swords, which mm. are uh, emblematic of Japanese culture in my mind. Yeah. And so, so culturally uh, quite a diverse collection. Yeah, well, sense. I have a few artifacts as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I think you've met some of the artists that you collect. Is that something that you like to do? Well, I do like to do, and I thought I had met quite a few, quite a number of the artists I've got, but when I added up the list, having made this list uh, in response to your request, uh, I've only met 20. Yes, well, so I see you've got Albrecht Dürer on the list, and I'm assuming that you probably haven't met him by way of example. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, that's about the most extreme example of people I've not met. Well, he's at the top being of the, the list, oldest so. work in the collection, <laughs> yeah. yes. So, I mean, given the size of your collection, Jules, I think many of our listeners will be wondering, where on earth do you put it all? Well, we're blessed with a, a couple of big hallways. Ah. and some uh, reasonable size rooms and other places. So uh, the walls are reasonably crowded, I would have to say. And would your wife agree with that? <laughs> oh, well, we've never discussed it. <laughs> are you still collecting? Oh, yes, I still buy things, although this year I haven't bought any paintings. I bought an artefact, though. Just uh, two weeks ago from a shop in South Dunedin, I was astonished. I bought a Giselle. You know what a You're going to have is. to explain that to me and the listeners, I think. <laughs> a Giselle is a an Afghani rifle. It's a 75 caliber, so that's three quarters of an inch musket ball. It's a flintlock. Wow. It's about it's got about a five foot long barrel, and the Giselles uh, were the reason why the British were chased out of Afghanistan by the Afghani's because they could accurately shoot 250 meters. Whereas the British had their muskets, the old brown best muskets, that would only shoot 50 metres accurately. And so they were picked off from the mountaintops by the Afghanis and retreated. And the Afghanis chased them all the way from uh, Kabul to Jalalabad. Well, I'm assuming that you didn't go looking in South Dunedin second-hand shops for that particular artefact. That was a lucky, a lucky score, yeah? It was a lucky find, yes. I found it in Elio's gun shop. Wow. When I was in there buying some fishing lures. It sounds amazing. Jules, thank you for coming and joining us on Sightlines today and thank you too to Jules Gross for joining us and telling us all about your fascinating collections. And thanks to our listeners too for tuning in today. Next month we'll be talking to a couple of expatriate artists who have recently returned back to New Zealand. Join us then for The Art of Returning Home. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find our podcasts on the Otago Access Radio and the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.